Welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. Each of us today is sitting in a chair. From that chair, we will discuss how our thought process and patterns flow, starting off with the chair of theology. We've got uh, both Jennifer and Bethany here today. How are y'all? Good. All right. <laughs> Glad to have you. This is Bethany's first time. Yay. Glad to have you on. Bethany, you said that with great excitement and confidence. <laughs> if looks could eye. kill. Okay, so sitting in the chair of theology, dealing with why we believe what we believe, and uh, we'll be going to the Bible from that. Now, yours truly, John Arthur, sitting in the chair of philosophy, dealing with the rigor that the Christian must bring to their worldview. If you don't have a good uh, philosophy founded on good theology, things go downhill from here. Kicking it on down the hill... Uh, going to the chair of culture. We've got Mr. Steve and uh, Daniel. Hello. Good morning, John Arthur. How are y'all? Good, good. Doing very well this morning. I got a solid seven hours for once. So for those of you who don't know, Daniel works the night shift. So uh, moving on over to the chair of politics. And a good, happy Sunday to everyone. Glad to have you on, sir. Good to be here today. We're ready to uh, chat a little political stuff. Dealing with the political nature of the Christian worldview, if government is an ordained institution, ordained by God, then uh, the Christian should be involved in it. And after our political structure, culture flows down to politics, what's left over is economics. However, it's the real-world consequences for the choices that we made along the way. We've got Miss Nikki sitting here. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? Doing well. Glad to have you in the chair of economics. Uh, Glad not, to be here. Not the first time you've been in there, and you've done a wonderful job each time. So that for those of you who are just now tuning into our our stream or show in general, I end up in that chair a lot. I love that chair. I have a special love for it. It's the ugly duckling, but uh, it's my <laughs> ugly duckling. And uh, she's done a great job in it. So let's start off with talking about CRT uh, and dealing with the elephant in the room. There is a problem a race issue in America today. Now, there are disparities between different subsets of the population. This is absolutely true. We want to make sure that as Christians, we're not just about smelling rotten eggs, but that we're actually about solving the problem. And to solve the problem, we have to go to the root, because no one likes to see intergenerational poverty. No one likes to see a broken familial structure. These are things that are real issues, and too often conservative Christians blow things off as, well, you should know better. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going to send a missionary to Africa or to Asia or to South America, and you're going to talk about Christ, can't, can't you be bothered to just meet the culture where it's at? So CRT is here, and it's because we've ignored it for way too long. So the, the statistics are real. There, there is a disparity between whites and blacks. I'm not going to go into those because every single study that I've found seemed to be cherry-picked on some level. But um, I just want to throw this at Jennifer. I don't know if you're, if you're in the show map right now. But um, if you are a Nigerian-American who's just off the boat... Statistically, how much more money are you likely to make per year? This is the second paragraph of the show map. 
go up to 10%. 10%. And that's in a Yahoo Finance. Yeah. So uh, statistically, um, Nigerian Americans make more than 10% of the average uh, American. And that's from Yahoo Finance. So, so black people making 10% more than white people, but it's specifically black immigrants, not black Americans. And you'll find the same with Indians. Actually, Indians way outperform. They are statistically, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to misspeak, but it's a, approximately 40% more than the, or, or in, in some cases, as much as 90% more than the average, depending upon whose metrics and ratios in the in the year. So if melanin is a, is a hindrance, then this, these statistics kind of pose a problem. So let's, let's dig a little deeper because these things don't really comport. Um, can someone, uh, Daniel, can you read the statistics and about crime? And I want to, before you do, I want to hedge this. These are statistics and causation, correlation does not equal causation. There's something deeper here. And unfortunately, a lot of conservatives will go to these crime statistics and then leave it right where it sits. Today, we're, we're trying to tread a little bit carefully. We're going to be using the research of Thomas Sowell, okay, uh, to, to kind of dig into this. But there is a real issue with crime, and that leads to intergenerational poverty. What are the stats on inter, on uh on crime as far as homicidal crime in the United States. Yeah, so on homicides and crime in 2019 America, over 50% of the homicides in this nation are committed by those of African descent. Uh, it is also important to note that in 2019, uh, 14% of the population fits that description. So, but where does most of this crime occur? What, yeah. what region of the United States? 48% in the South. 48.7% in the South. That's going to become important in a moment. So whenever we're dealing with a philosophy, we want to judge it through the lens of the Christian worldview. And I know this is a lot of setup here, but I want to get to the, the five tenets, if you will. And, and there's some people say there's four tenets, some people say there's five tenets of CRT. Uh, I'm, I'm going with, a, with an article from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee uh, from 2009. That's what we're looking at here. But before we do, we have to note that critical theory, as we talked about last time, really comes out of the 1930s reconstruction of Marxist theory, because Marxism was failing. So they've reconstructed the theory of oppressor versus oppressed. Everything, you are either an oppressor or you are the oppressed. That is the worldview of Marx. And if I can distill it down into a nutshell, we've just changed... Class for race. Next week, we're going to talk about gender identity. You are either the heteronormative or you are the divergent oppressed. And that's a totally different issue. It's an entirely different structure of argument. We'll deal with it then. And and you know, John Arthur, one quick point on this. All of the CRT, all of critical theory is divisional in its concept. It doesn't matter if you're talking about race or gender or whatever it is. It's all about division. And the biblical worldview is all about unity. unity. If, there, if you were always structured into oppressor or oppressed, 
is there ever a chance for unity? No. That's, will, that's why this bangs heads so bad. There will always be division. So let's go through the five points. I'm going to throw the five points around the room. I'm going to start off with Miss Nikki. Uh, do you have the show map in front of you? I do. Can you start with the first component of CRT and go ahead and read this? This is an excerpt uh, out of uh, that 2009 article by Nicholas Daniel Harlip. Uh, there are five major components or tenets of CRT. The notion that racism is ordinary and not aberrational? Yes. Keep going. Uh, firstly, racism, racism is ordinary. The overall etho ethos of majority culture promotes and promulgates. I'm sorry, pronouncing these words. If you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bolt. <laughs> <laughs> A notion of colorblindness and mediocrity. These two notions are mutually interwined. interwined. Meritocracy. Merito thank you. Meritocracy. Yeah, phonics was not my strong part. You know, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and serve to marginalize certain enclaves of people, predominantly people of color. Color blindness in mediocrity. Meritocracy. Meritocracy. You guys yeah. say it for me. Meritocracy. <laughs> yeah. I'll phone a friend on that one. Is that the notion there? <laughs> <laughs> serve two primary functions. Critical race theory first. They allow whites to feel consciously irresponsible for the hardships people of color face and encounter daily. And secondly, secondly, they also maintain whites' power and strongholds within society. Okay, let's pause for a second, bookmark your place. Let's, let's think about this for just a moment. So colorblindness, the idea of unity without race, chair of theology, I want to I want to get this from y'all. What does the Bible say about race and where where do we get the notion of race? Is race a social construct or do we all come from one? Well, certainly we all come from one initially. I mean, the story of Adam, the story of Noah, we literally come from one human being. Um, and then, of course, the notion of race uh, comes later at the Tower of Babel. Well, the, the notion of language, ethnicity, ethnicity, different nations, um, those are biblical. But the idea of race, as in skin color, is a foreign concept. So Mendelian genetics, Jennifer. What 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 what, what what's the problem with dividing humans? Based on on skin color, on the content of melanin in their skin. Uh, the there's no uh, almost no scientific difference between people. There are a few medical conditions that are affected um, that that do need to be addressed that are different between whites and African Americans, Latinos, all that kind of stuff. But by and large, the difference between a white person, a black person, an Asian person, uh, in terms of their genetics, is completely unrelated to race. So one could say that most, except for the window dressing. Most people, most people actually have those a variety of traits within and, and you really want to see this, you look at an interracial marriage and you'll see you have three kids, sometimes each child will look different. I, one of my best friends is uh, uh, his father is half Latino, half Irish. Mom Full-blooded brown Hispanic. He got whacked with the Irish stick. 
like full on. So, so, so uh, James, I'm calling you out. He's a ginger, pale ginger. People come up to him screaming at him about his white privilege. You know nothing what it's like to be in a brown or black family. And he's like, my, my, my family's literally from Mexico. <laughs> well, I, I mean, just every talking about melanated people, the fact that you are not diagnosed with the medical condition called albinoism means that you are a melanated person. Now, we have less melanin than some people, but that's just a silly distinction. So colorblindness being a problem, I, I, I'm, I'm going to deal with the chair of philosophy here. If you have a problem with people looking at individuals, and, and again, let's always define semantics, right? Because when you go to them, they'll say, no, 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 no. Colorblindness means that you're blind to the problem of the colored people. That's where they're going to go. So let's make sure that we define terms. When I say colorblind, I'm saying that we are all descendants of one family. We are the human race. If you come at it from this perspective, the perspective, and so this is my, my retort to him, if you come at this from the perspective of we are one human family meant to be redesigned, to be reunited with our Father in heaven as the bride of Jesus Christ, as a church, oppressor and oppressed is not an issue. It's are you vertically aligned with Jesus Christ in the way that you treat people horizontally, if I can use that overused analogy. So with that in mind, I also want to move over to the chair of culture on the issue of being colorblind. Can I read a verse really quick? Bethany, please do. So this is Bethany's first time. Bethany, you got to jump in. Read the verse. Please go. So I'm reading um, James 2, 8 and 9. Um, which says, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law's transgressor. Good verse. So, beautiful. That right there. That's the proper biblical worldview. Is the world proper, proper biblical worldview. That's if you were dealing, that's yes. colorblindness. Yep. So, you immediately have a retort to the issue, and, and uh, that, that as a perfect verse for this context, we'll be using that verse a couple times. We're going to bounce off that, because it's, it's, it's absolutely the correct one to pull. Chair of culture, I want to go ahead and set you up here. When we have a colorblind culture versus a color-divided culture, if we have a colorblind culture, there's a chance for unity. If we have a culture that's divided specifically based on color, what happens? Oh, <clears throat> well, you end up with segregation for one thing. I grew up during a time of segregation. I, back in where I lived, further east Texas, uh, what we called the Golden Triangle area, there were a number of schools that were segregated. We had various all-white schools around, all-black schools around, sections of towns in the town itself that were segregated. That's um, just the way it was. Everybody knew this part of town was where this section of 
this color of people lived. If you were, say, black, you lived over here. Or if you were white, you lived over here. If you were Hispanic, you lived over here. What does that do to unity in the body of Christ? It ruins it. You have no unity because you're not loving each other as yourself, which is you don't love your neighbor as you would yourself, which is you're sinning unto God, not just to yourself, but unto God. You're not serving God's purpose. And so as as a kid of the 90s, I really feel like I got a post-racial American stolen from me because I, I, I started my education in a majority-minority religious school, okay? Uh, NBC Houston, uh, down off of uh, Derry Ashford. And, and if you know where that is, that's in the middle of the richest, most vibrant, you know, every, every color of the rainbow of uh, race you, you have there. None of us saw race as an issue. We all, you know, we were four or five years old. We would, we would crack jokes about each other's appearance, like, you know, you'd be better at hide-and-seek if it's at night. You know, th- those sorts of jokes or, or the goofiest things I can't repeat. But it was in complete innocence. By the way, most of them were at me, just saying. But <clears throat> children don't see that culturally, and which we're going to get to. This is part of the issue: is that okay. racism, racism is 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 aberrant. It is aberrant. It is not normal. But I want to pose this culturally to Daniel, someone who's a Zoomer. Uh, and again, there's not a huge difference in generation, but we have boomers, we have millennials, and we have Zoomers here in this in this current edition of the podcast. What has the fracturing of our society around race produced in the culture that you live in? Yeah, well, well for starters, like just as a person who works, who has worked in several different environments, there there can be uh, in. Specifically in the area I, I, I live in, I've worked in mostly Hispanic slash black environments. And b- because of how these kids are being taught in school, like, like okay, you, were, you are oppressed because of your skin color. And that person over there, he's the one doing it to you because he's white. And that, that's created a lot of hostility towards me that I've had to fight through and work through, get people to see me not as my skin color, but as the person I am. And so just a thought-provoking question, one that I don't want to want to dwell too long on, but just rhetorical. Um, what did you do to, to their ancestors? Just, just Daniel Myers, just Daniel Myers. How many slaves did Daniel Myers own? So just... just it's a great, putting, it's a great point. Putting that out there, it goes to an eye for an eye culture, which we're going to get to if, if we can do this whole podcast in a time matter. We're, we're, we're going to get to the eye for eye culture that all of this comes from. But from a political side, once we fractured our society around color and not around meritocracy, which we'll get to in a little bit, what does that create in a political structure? It's pure hostility. Pure hostility. Look, you can't even... say tribalism? Well, that would be an excellent word, um, because what you see today, uh, especially from political leaders, is the grouping of 
one person and making and applying it to a whole group of people. That's really what your tribalism is all about. And I'm not going to pick out political figures. By the way, they exist on both sides of the fence. Yes. They, so if if something comes out that I'm picking on one side, it should be noted this is on both sides. This is not an issue that's just a Republican or just a Democrat or an independent. This this is but that fracturing it happens and it creates hostility. So you get the hostility. Now we can't even agree on anything when it comes to the legislative process. If you will note the things that have happened, and I'm just going to pick the current administration because that's where we're dealing right at the moment. When you look at the bills that have been passed, they have almost, if I'm not mistaken, all but one or two have been, pu- been passed purely on partisan lines. Yeah, and a lot of them about a lot of them specifically aimed at race, and that and that's something interesting because you look in Marxist ideology, the useful idiot Marxist words, not mine, is the tool for revolutionary change. And Marx wasn't really interested in the people. I'm just saying he was someone that his own mother said if he had worked more on creating capital than speaking about it, he would actually be something. The guy, the guy was your Reddit user stereotype who didn't bathe, had boils on his skin because he was so slovenly. These people want to sponge off of your back. Do not be deceived. These bills are going to hurt you. uh, Yeah, and the thing is, I don't think our young people in America understand this today, and understanding this issue would be really important. We are on the edge of political revolution. Yes, and it's intentional. It's razor edge. It's it's intentional. And what that does is that kind of destabilizes everything. It breaks down our the structure of our society, which leads me to the chair of economics. And I and I wanna I really wanna get your your take on colorblindness from an economic standpoint. Um and then I also want to get your your ideas on meritocracy. Because I want to start that off with you, because that's an interesting it's an interesting structure uh, for, for economics. But first, on the issue of colorblindness, when we start to see people only at, through the lens of color, and that's how we start to associate, what does that do to our value structure? Well, you are always going to have an issue when you, when you do it that way because it's not based on equality. And therefore, you're going to have a tug of war between the colors, the the races, is what we're what we're talking about here. And there's always going to be one that's going to be oppressed and one that's not, one that's going to be have the the power. So what they're trying to do is they think that through CRT they're going to give the power to the black people, and this is going to be retribution to white people. So you still have the imbalance in society and imbalance, and it will affect your economy, big and, time. And because we're not dealing on the issue of meritocracy, let's go a step further. When your economic structures are not based on meritocracy, what happens to your economy? What happens to your business? What happens to your, to your, 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 so, your social values? Well, they 
I want to say they become bogged down. I don't know if that's the good word, but they you have to compromise. They're, they're the, less productive. Yes. There's a compromise involved. And when you are giving based on color, and you're giving out or you're taxing or you're whatever you're you're doing like in the schools for crt they were separating the whites from the blacks that creates more problems in the long run yes. than it does and it doesn't bring unity our goal should be to bring unity and to treat everybody equally and the idea of crt is to um, rebalance not to bring equality but to lift black people up and to bring white people down you can't do that John, one further point on that economic side. I mean, and I think this is something that we're seeing today in a major way. It makes people less productive, but look at what's happened here in, in the last year. We have a situation, or last two years, we have a situation where we've got more now hiring signs out than we've ever seen before. Why is that? Because people were paid to stay home. Because people were paid to stay home and and... That, that, that's a whole nother conversation that we can have. Well, and let me add on to that because what we're saying also is if I can gain because I am a certain color, then I don't have to work for it. And that right there creates yep. a class of people based on this intersectional structure. So I want to move forward. I want to move forward. This fellow goes on to talk about uh, uh, how... The powerful don't, you know, they, they expunge their conscience because they say that they're colorblind. They say that things are based on merit and not based on, on actual, uh, they say they're based on merit and not based on the reality of racism as being uh, systemic and intractable. It's an intractable disease for which there is no cure. So I think we've gone around the room and kind of dealt with why that's bad this is a problem. We might as well just all kill each other and be done with it uh, at that point and end suffering. Uh, and one last blow. I'm not advocating that. I'm, I'm saying that it's 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 a little stupid. But the second one, the interest, the idea of an interest in convergence. Uh, Bethany, could you go ahead and read from the show map number two, the idea of an interest in convergence? just one second absolutely so the so let me pro preface this with the idea that th this guy's going to go and say that white people only act in their self-interest so keep that in mind as we start to read the idea of an interest convergence secondly bell's theory of interest convergence is a critical component within the cogs of crt Common sense beliefs are formulated by the majority status quo. The beliefs created by the majority, the haves, oppress minority groups, the have-nots, and have-too-littles. Stated more precisely, interest convergence is the notion that whites will allow and support racial justice and progress to the extent that there is something positive in it for them, or a convergence between the interest of whites and non-whites. CRT focuses on informing the public how certain stories act and serve to silence and distort certain enclaves of people and cultures, typically people of color, while simultaneously building up and legitimizing others, typically the majority, status quo, which retains or gains even more power through these tra transactions. 
So this author then goes on to say that uh, if, if there were a race of aliens that came and offered a world free of pollution and poverty and all the whites needed to do in America was trade the blacks, sacrifice them to the aliens, they would. And it, it, it's just the most random non sequitur uh, nonsense. It doesn't follow uh, that, that, that I've ever heard. And it's a straw man. So theologically. You know, that theory, it, though, as you're, when white people say all black people are, are less human or it's the same mindset of saying that white people would sacrifice black people to aliens. It's the same mindset. It's the same mindset. Absolutely. And, and, and it, is this a non-falsifiable premise? Absolutely, because no matter what you do, you're only doing it to improve your own station. So uh, me as a white person, even if I go out and I volunteer in a minority neighborhood, I'm just doing that to gain more power in the social standing for me. You know, when white Christians fought to abolish slavery, they were doing that to improve for themselves. It had nothing to do with being good to minorities. So no matter what good you do, this automatically, unequivocally makes it so that it is also a bad thing. So, Bethany, Chair of Theology, what claim does this make about salvation then? In this worldview of critical race theory, is there salvation for white people? Or is it rigidly, rigidly structured around a consistent work base by comparison to the salvation we have in Christ? Can you reword that? I'm a little absolutely. bit lost. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so, so let's, yeah, absolutely. In what kind of salvation do you, structure do you have in Christianity? Salvation is available equally to everyone. Could, do you have to work for it? No. Is there is it is it a, is it something that's attainable? Yes, it's attainable, but not through works. It's a gift given to us. There you have it. So, critical race theory has set itself up as a sort of worldview, and in that worldview, there is a soteriology, if you will, a plan to salvation. Does it sound like there's much hope for salvation if you're white? In this worldview, if you are, <laughs> in the words of uh, what's your name, white, white fragility, one need not assume that, or one need not ask if a transaction was racist. One only need to ask how it was racist, mm -hmm. and how if it's between whites and blacks, one only needs to assume that it was racist. Does that sound like a impossible? I, I think what might make this a little bit more um, understandable is is. Instead of the term salvation, which we think of very religiously, I think what you're getting at is the idea of forgiveness, ultimately. Correct. And that's a more social idea. And in this theory, there is no forgiveness for white people because no matter what you do or work for, it's still evil. So you are always at a deficit. You are always trying to climb your way out of Whole of being evil. It's a, it's intractable, and so the enemy of our souls <laughs> has created something that is impossible to fix. 
Sounds familiar. So with this idea that there is no, there is no fixing, there is no fixing it, there is no changing your whiteness. But there's no hope. There's no hope. And so that, what, wh that wh where right does that there. leave? Where does that leave white people? Yep. Where does that leave white people? So philosophically, you have no opportunity. You have no opportunity. And what this does is this divides. And, and, and it's, it's not random. Marxism is aimed at globalist control of everything that exists. But what are we going to do to our culture in the meantime? If there's a certain subset of the population that is vilified and evil, and they've caused all the problems in the world, does this sound familiar, Daniel? Yes, yes, it does. Now, I'm thinking back to the 1940s. 1930s, right? Oh, wait. Where did CRT come from? <laughs> the 1930s, the Frankfurt School. Interesting. What happened to that culture? It fell apart. That's exactly what happened to it. Okay. Interesting. So, so when we start to deal with a culture of unforgiveness, Mr. Steve, I want to get you, you to weigh in here. When we deal with a culture of unforgiveness... Does that produce bitterness? Ooh, yes, like bitter herbs, man. Um, you have people that are not willing to forgive and f much less forget. Uh, I mean, look at people not forgetting or forgiving what has happened in the past. People want reparations from things that happened a hundred years ago. You know, we're talking uh, things that have gone on a hundred years ago, and now people are wanting something, wanting something that happened then that occurred. What forgiveness? One of the greatest things that the Lord has given us and asked for is forgiveness. That comes back good and you have forgiveness and when you don't it doesn't <laughs> and that right there is you know to to the point of the chair of theology there that is the issue that is where we lose the the gift that god has given us and what you have is a culture and a society that falls apart why are we implementing the the philosophical thoughts of a culture that has repeatedly had to die and be rebirthed Talking, I'm looking at you, Germany. Uh, uh, you guys done messed up. Why do we continue to use that? But politics. Once we have a issue where people are intractably evil, there is no redemption for these people. And their viewpoints, say if uh, these white Judeo-Christians or these Juden have a certain viewpoint that is not in vogue with the government. What is the governmental response to a hostile threat, one could say a domestic terrorist threat, within its own borders? Call it censorship. Call it a, the hammer down on them, you know, in terms of law. And that's, we're seeing a lot of censorship now, not from the political leaders, although they want that. Some of them. Some of them. It's from your technology companies. And but that's where it starts. It starts in culture, and then it's yes, codified in politics. Correct. And, and here's where our, our young people really need to 
see this. You might not like a particular message and you don't want to hear it. You need to be very careful because the same acts that came down on that issue might come down on you later where you don't have a voice. Absolutely. And so this, this joker, it, it cuts both ways. You have to be really careful with this. But that's what's happening today in the political argument. So now you're getting to a point where ideas from a Judeo-Christian point of view cannot be expressed. They cannot be um, shared. Um, you've got um, really good journalistic-type organizations that have been censored off Twitter. Um, I won't say LinkedIn, although LinkedIn definitely jumps in on this. Facebook, this is a personal opinion. Everyone, please treat it as such. Mark Zuckerberg single-handedly had a huge impact on the last election. And Absolutely. It, it was, it, it's because of the information that was suppressed. And, and what you're having here is, is the suppression of certain stories. Yes. And this leads also to the, to the issue of, of race. And I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds of right, censorship, no. but you're right. And what, what happens is, is I, I, again, I've quoted Andrew Clavin over and over again. He said something that was really good. He says, when you give the devil the power of the truth, you're going to lose the war. Yep. And what he meant by that is, mm -hmm. is when we cannot speak about reality and facts and have everything in the open... Also, when you have bad ideas that are allowed into the open, yep. if you allow all of that out there, truth will win. God's truth will defend itself. All you need to do is show up and display it, and it will sin and uh, uh, misinformation will wither in the face of God's truth. So over to the chair of economics. I want to just go ahead and throw this at you here, because th this is an interesting piece of this, that um, we only do things that are, if white people only do things that are beneficial to them in regards to race. Uh, I, I want to talk about the most costly thing. Jennifer already brought it up, the Civil War. Mm. What, what value would that even have? going to war over, over slavery, what value would that have for the North? Um, I, well, you're making a sacrifice. I'm not sure what you think you're coming home with. <laughs> exactly. I mean, people, you know, in the North where slavery was not allowed, um, and they knew that God, if you read the history, they knew God could not bless America as long as we had slavery. Mm. Now I do I do understand that we did end slavery and we did not promote equality. Absolutely, there's a problem there, um, and so we need to recognize that. But there was no benefit to go to war to fight to end slavery for yourself personally. As a matter of fact, it cost uh, it cost men a lot a lot cost them um, some most a lot of them their lives. At the time of their family, their family suffered while they were gone. So there was no, there was no profit in that. And that right there is, I think, the biggest kill shot on that argument is why would, why would white America go to war with South? And and again, South the the Civil War was a complex war. It mm, was the, there yes. were states' rights, there was slavery, 
There was a large variety of different, and of course, there was a culture clash as well. There was a lot going on there, and I'm not going to talk about percentages. That's a debated topic. I'm going to leave it alone. But why would so many people die for that is my next question. Item number three, the social construction of race and CRT, if you want to talk about the, the tenements of it. Totally agree. I think we've established that. Race is uh, a social construct. Ethnicity is not. Ethnicity is a heritage. Race yep. Yep. is a social construct. I can, I, can, I can agree with that. They say some stuff there I don't agree with. Some of the little itty bits, but we'll agree, disagree on those. Point made. Agreed. The idea of storytelling and counter-storytelling. I don't want to get, for the sake of time, because we are running up on it, storytelling is the way to teach black kids, is the way they go into. They say that the scientific method, the Socratic method, mathematics, logic, these things are white constructs. Physics, white constructs. So you, you, you're you telling me that the, the three women that they made that movie about was hidden or unseen? Uh, hidden just, figures. Hidden figures, hidden figures. Saying that those three women were, were, were not capable of doing that work to, to get our astronauts where they needed to be. You're saying that, that they weren't capable of that really because they had more melanin in their skin? Or, or is this just utter tripe? <laughs> they were hugely responsible for what we're now doing in our space program. They were critical components of that. So not a white construct. Not a white construct. Just going to say, but uh, wait. They continue to say that story-based training and uh, storytelling is the way to have uh, teaching in schools that is uh, acclimated to the black mind. Oh wait, where did where did this theology come from, or this this philosophy? Oh, 1930s Germany, out of Frankfurt. Okay, it makes perfect sense now. It, no, in other words, you're not smart enough to learn the other way, so we need to dumb it down for you, and that way I can keep my thumb of power over you. Yes, you know, and that, that is exactly what it is. And that's, that's the way the culture was then. At that point in time, uh, the thought was is that because of that, culturally, uh, black people were not intelligent enough, so let's make a story out of that to show that we do have some when actually black people are smart enough. They're, 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 they're the same human being. Smart enough. Absolutely. I, 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 would, I would challenge the, the, the way that you guys are going to this, though. And here's why. This, to me, is purely calculated. Oh, it absolutely oh, is. Sure. This, this is a... In, it's hello. intentionally deconstructing... How is it that we, Rubio. as a culture, can influence its future... It is purely through our children, number one. Number in two, history. it's to the vo most vulnerable. So when you see issues of CRT being taught in K through third grade, thank you very much, Florida, when it comes to the sexuality piece, they know the issue is you should have total control as a parent about those kind of things being taught at that age because if you're not countering that at home, you have set the future up. And they have rewritten the narrative. Storytelling and counter-storytelling. Yes. Revisionist history. 
and the rescoping and reframing of history. They will tell so so there 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 there's truths and there's half truths, and half truths are just as damning as lies. Well, here's a perfect example culturally. Who all watched uh, Hollywood's version of Noah? Oh my! Did goodness. anybody see that? No, I refused I've seen to. it. Huh? It was horrible. You got to watch it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. No. Okay, I watched it. Why? Because I wanted to see what Hollywood made and how what their version or their thought was going to be of Noah. Mm-hmm. You got to watch these things and see how Hollywood twist these things around and then puts it out here to the public and then tries to use that to convince people who so don't know the story. That's the adult version of what's going on in K through third grade. Absolutely. Exactly. So that right there is the problem, is revisionist history, and then, of course, a poor retelling of the history. So I, 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 I do think we need to move, move on just to and get to the, the closure got here. people that believe it. <laughs> the notion, five, the notion that whites have actually been the recipients of civil rights legislation. They go through the issue of busing. They go through the issue of uh, how the civil rights acts and, and a lot of the great, you know, the greater cities policies didn't turn out actually in favor of blacks. Oh, you mean the ones where they went door to door saying that if you had a man in the house, uh, you couldn't get welfare. But if you were single black woman, Latino woman, white trash woman, anyone, anyone, yep, you can get a paycheck from the government. Huh. So let's tear apart what God put together as family. And then cry about yep. why it, why things don't why it work. Doesn't work. And saying that it's actually an issue of white racism. Uh, I, I actually kind of agree, because what did LBJ say uh, after, after passing the Greater Cities Policy? We'll have those inwards voting for us for the next 100 years. So actually, um, I disagree with the whites have been the recipients of civil rights legislation. I disagree with that. But there is some, there's a bit of truth there. There is something wrong there. So let's start to sort of feather this all together. These well-intentioned laws, some of them ill-intentioned laws, have had very, very bad repercussions because we haven't looked at our history. We haven't looked at our history. And um, you want to you go to someone who's very wise on this is Thomas Sowell. And I, I would make a joke about how uh, how he did so well uh, uh, articulating this, but I won't. Huh. I won't do that to you. Oh, that was huh. weak. But huh. but uh, he does go through the origin of Black American culture and eubonics, and I, I want everyone who's listened to that because uh, you know we all did that for show prep, or a lot of us did it for show prep, to just go ahead and think about a takeaway that you had from it that was interesting. And we got to keep it short here because we're coming up on time. But the 1950s Indianapolis uh, quote that we that that uh, that he starts off with is is that there is a group of people flooding our streets. They uh, uh, rebuff the police. They don't take care of their kids. They have morals that are so low that they would shame an alley cat. These folks are destroying our cities. You would think that Thomas Sowell was was quoting a racist person talking about black people coming into their city. No, it was Southern rednecks. Yep. And what they called crackers. 
crackers, and, and, and so we'll use the term cracker culture. And he takes it back to the Celtic lifestyle of the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s in England, where you had intergenerational poverty, yep. a issue with promiscuity, an issue with best friends would tear each other's ears off, gouge their eyes out, and then murder them in public. And that that, per, that kid who did that would be celebrated. This is it's a gang culture. Where did blacks who came in from the slave trade end up settling with? What culture did they absorb? Those people. That's, that's the problem. The most egregious part of Anglo mm -hmm. culture. Yes. So going around the room, it was a really interesting listen <clears throat> and look. I just want to get... Some takeaways, if you had any, if you had any, if you didn't, feel free to pass, but starting off with the chair of theology and put a theological, you know, bend to it. So I think the general takeaway that I had from it is that these um, things that we all are, that are trying to be associated specifically with African Americans and their behavior for whatever reason, all different kinds of groups at all different times throughout history have had versions of this behavior, they've grown out of this behavior, sometimes they've gone back into this behavior. It is not anything that one particular race is any more predisposed to than any other. It is an environmental triggered uh, type of behavior. It's a cultural social construct. Yes, exactly. And that right there is, is, is the issue, is that doesn't it sound like Satan to, to promote pride, avarice, uh, and and and, and what got some of these um, uh, specific uh, black neighborhoods, black cultures, out of that idea? It was the teachers coming down and having a strict Christian morality imposed or brought to that culture. And it took care of the promiscuity. It took care of the drunkenness and the fighting and all of this stuff. It, it absolutely did. Bethany, did you have any thoughts from that? You're a very thoughtful person. I know you've got <laughs> lots of things to say. I want to read another verse. <laughs> um, Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So these people were doing things contrary to Christ instead of according to Christ and celebrating promiscuity and, and rape and drunkenness, as, as Jennifer was saying, and things totally contrary to to Christ and we're deviating entirely from, from Christ. And that is going to breed consequences to the third and fourth generation, yep. as we see in the Bible. And so I've, I've already given y'all most of, most of my thoughts on this, but I'd just say that you compare the Nigerian who comes here to America and is able to succeed 10% better on average than everyone else, and certainly above the lower class of African-American population. You look at the Danes and the, and, and the Northern Europeans who come here to the States too, the ones with a good ethic, 
they do better than the average white. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why is there a difference? And Sowell goes into this. Why is there such a disparity 800 years on the northern European continent of contact between the Danes and the Greeks? And why is there a disparity in wealth between the two? Is it because of the melanin content? Is it because that the darker you are, the poorer you are, as some people have said? No, it, they're the same color. So just moving over to the chair of culture, I want to get y'all's, y'all's takeaways. Give us a short bit of takeaway from Thomas Sowell's uh, discourse on this. Well, it's, man, I, that was such an interesting listen, listening to him, and I learned an amazing amount of listening to this man. I, I learned so much when I listened to him. It was interesting to learn that, and it's not, like you said, the amount of melanin or the lack thereof, but the environment you grow up in. The culture. It is solely culture. And when you take a person out of that culture and you put them into a different culture and you give them the proper ethics, morality, and raise them just like... Jennifer was talking about Christian morals, and you give them that and the proper education, you see that change in people. And it was proven, especially in the school, the Dunbar School, where so many major people of, of black origin came out of Thoroughgood Marshall and so many people of, Luther of his. King Jr., yeah. Right, Martin, Martin, King Jr. Ling, Martin King Jr. came out of there. So many of those come out of that, and it was because of the way they taught and raised those people in that school. And and you'll see, in in if you decide to listen to this uh, dissertation, link in the description below, there's a really, really good uh, insight that Sowell had. It didn't matter whether you were a white Southerner or you were a black Southerner. In fact, they had a general large percentage, 26, I think it was 26% versus 19% against the whites who were coming up from the South. Yeah. In a lot of the right. Northern states, you had a high percentage of middle, not high percentage, but a statistically significant percentage of middle-class African-Americans in Seattle, in Indianapolis, in the yeah. New England states, once you saw the Southern immigration for the factories during World War II, that's when you saw a cha- a retrogression in race relations. I am not saying that that is okay, but that is what Sowell and many others, and Shelby and others have pointed out, uh, Shelby, another great author, mm-hmm. uh, have pointed out is that the retrogressions came when you saw, when you when people connoted African Americans with that Southern rip and tear culture. Daniel, give us uh, an interesting tidbit from that thing, uh, that uh, dissertation from Sowell. Well, one thing I found so interesting in it was, first off, just the perversion of history yes. that, that we are being taught. Because I was not taught a single thing of that growing up in school, like like even in elementary school. I, I I've been homeschooled since third grade, and even then, never taught it. Can you say story rewrite? Storytelling and counter storytelling. So 
and, and that's something that we need to start to focus on our history. We need to start to work on telling the true story, unvarnished, by the way. And, and that's often used to, to say that we need to have a slant against whites. Mm. Let, let's do yep. unvarnished history. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of evil that's been perpetrated by yep. people with not a lot of melanin in their skin. Yep. There's been a lot of evil perpetrated by people with differing amounts of melanin in their skin. Let's look at the evil, let's look at the good, and let's deal with it from there. Your takeaways. I, I did not get very far in it. I do want to say one thing that is an encouragement to me in the political aspect. And you'll see this not just in your quote-unquote uh, red states, if we could, uh, red versus blue. You are seeing a lot of people um, start to challenge people on their school boards. Um, I think one of the, the most foretelling things of what's going on in America pertaining to what's being taught, especially around CRT, is what happened in San Francisco. You had three school board members that were pulled. They were they were recalled. And they didn't think, think about that. San Francisco, that is so deeply blue that... People are getting tired of it. They're getting tired of it. And it's not just, quote-unquote, conservative Judeo-Christian people. It is anybody, everybody. Yes. So as Christians... I, th I think it would be very helpful if we would really actively engage in these kind of conversations, and this is the way to impact your culture, right here. Get involved, and get involved in your local school board. Miss Nikki, did you have any thoughts on this, or were you able I to go through? I do have some thoughts on this. <laughs> I would love to hear actually, your thoughts. Interesting, because I, I know two women, one from Jamaica, who came here to work, and she shared with me, she said, Nikki... She goes, I've never had any issue with um, prejudice or racism with white people. I have with black Americans. She goes, when you come over from another country, she's a black woman. She goes, I was treated very poorly by black Americans, not, but not by white Americans. And another lady that I worked with from St. Lucia, she said, I don't understand all this. I don't see black people working out. She didn't understand the racism issue because she didn't see it um in her life and she's been here for 30 years and she just she just thinks it's it's silly she goes i don't see people out in the fields working like slaves i just don't see what they're talking about and so she's from a different country so i thought that was a really good perspective to see somebody who is black that comes from a different country into our country and how they perceive what's going on i also want to say that the man uh, a black man that I saw on the news saying, you are not going to teach my children that they're oppressed. And the reason being is because you're setting a mindset. And this is all about my, your culture you're raised in and how you're brought up is a mindset. And if you're raised, I'm poor, I'm always going to be poor. You always will be. I'm oppressed. I'm always going to be oppressed. You will be. I, you know, nobody likes me you know, you always feel that way. You feel like you'll never have friends. It's a mindset. Yes. And it will affect mm -hmm. how you live and it affects the economy. And it's going to create a cl class, if you will, of individuals who are permanently at a certain economic strata who need to vote for welfare. 
And that is something, and regardless of color, this is something that you see across the board. You want to create a culture, and, and this is a culture because it is not it. This culture, as Jennifer was 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 alluding to, is something that exists across whatever content of melanin you have, whatever uh, uh, your ethnicity. This culture is one that I firmly believe is right out of the pit of hell. This where you're you have a laziness, and Sowell would go go to speak about. He said, "Look." German farmers, statistically, they're the ones who built all the bridges in the South. German and Danes and other Northern Europeans, prop, London proper, Londoners, they would build bridges. A Northern Highlander or Irishman would ford the stream for the rest of their life as opposed to spending two days to build a bridge, what it would take a German family to do. So what you have here is a culture of laziness, of idleness, of pride, and it's something that afflicts no matter what color you will find people in a culture who are afflicted by this, something that is counter to Christ. And all of the, the values of excellence, of science, of mathematics, of logic, CRT, specifically decries these as oppressive. Does it sound like they want a voting class that they can manipulate into using for a one-world government. That's what the last year and a half have oh. been about. Oh. Well, I would submit to you last 10, 10 to 12 years. So I've got a quote here from Ibram X. Kennedy, and uh, I was wondering if uh, you could read that, Mr. Johnson, if you can find it for just a moment. And then, uh, Mr. Charlie, if, if you can get me that uh, In a Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal, by Shaniqua Walker Barnes. And then I'm going to have uh, Bethany read Galatians 3.28. I think this will be a good general closure on the topic. Let me know once you get that Ibram X. Kennedy quote. It's at the bottom of the show, Matt. Kennedy. Kendi? Did I say Kendi? You're saying Kennedy. It's Ibram X. Kendi. I don't think I said Kennedy. Oh, twice. my goodness. You said it twice. No, I said, I said it twice. <laughs> Kendi. 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 Kindy, Ibram X. Kindy, you got it there. I just didn't want you to commit okay. hate crime yes, on accident. Got it. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, when, when not, got it. Yeah, go. The only <laughs> remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. So. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but but everyone's shaking their heads. It's pretty asinine. But yeah. Mr. Charlie, do you have in a rhythm of prayer? Yeah, a collection of mediation uh, meditation. Sorry, for renewal. Shaniqua Walker Barnes, a self-proclaimed theologian, prayed, "Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least <laughs> want to hate them." I find that that statement right there. It's amazing. That's amazing. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls to stop believing that they can be uh, better, that they can stop being racist. Does this sound like reflectionism at its best? I mean, this is... This is a theologian? This is a theologian, so-called. What God is she praying to? What God does she know? Not the God of the Bible. Not the God of the Bible. This is not the God of the Bible. Here's an interesting cultural thing 
from the chair of culture. I was riding just this week, had an Uber ride up here. This lady, I guess she's in her 50s, moved down here 10 years ago from Chicago, of all places, three kids, told me she'd heard all about the South, moved down, loves it down here, loves it. She was so afraid of all of this racist stuff, moves in and goes, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I no. go around in neighborhoods, and I see everybody living together. She goes up there, everybody's segregated, every single neighborhood, every place. She goes, I have gotten in touch with my brothers and my sisters to invite my nieces and nephews to come live with me to get out of the gang environment so yeah. that they don't die because I have three kids that have lived and now are in college and I have a child that is in the military going someplace in life now. Mm -hmm. As opposed to being captive to this ideology. So if you can get Galatians 3.8 for me, Bethany, Chair of Theology. What does the Bible say about this? 3.8 or 3.28? 3.28, thank you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is a minor straw man, but if we're, if we're all, if, if race is a social con construct, why would you need to hate white people? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but instead of having, so you, you choose which world you want to live in. You choose which world you want to live in. Do you want to live in a world where there is forgiveness and redemption? Or a world where you have to pray to your God to hate a certain group of people? I think you can word it like this. Do you want to live in a world of unity or you want to live in a world of fraction? And I, I think that's absolutely right. correct. Around the room, we've got a bullet round this. Let's wrap this up. Around the room, I want to go to the chair of theology. Wrapping up thoughts. Uh, this, these last two quotes that we read uh, encapsulate it perfectly. It is no hope for anyone, not for white people, not for black people. We're stuck in this rut. We're never going to get out of it. We're always going to be stuck here. Well, That's where Mr. Government that comes in. What does that rob you of, Bethany? What does that view, that worldview rob you of? There is no hope. There's only, the, the only chance is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And uh, you got to pray to hate white people. What, 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 what does that do with the grace that God has given us? I think that it makes it only, oh, it, it makes the assumption that it's only available to some people and not others. Scary thoughts. Any other thoughts wrapping up? Um, I don't remember where I read this, um, so let me know if you know. But um, Put it in the comment section. <laughs> that um, hating any sort of people group is kind of like a direct insult to our creator because our creator created everybody. So if we pray to hate one people group, we are basically saying to God, 
that, oh, you messed up by making these people. And God didn't mess up by creating any type of people because he's perfect and he's perfect in all creation. Amen. And CRT robs you of that. And where it puts you is a philosophically untenable position, one in which there is no hope and it robs you of, of salvation, of a chance of forgiveness, of redemption, as Jennifer was putting. Chair of Culture, go. I think that the Abram Kendi and the rhythm of prayer kind of co- coincide with the way our White House is doing with division. You look at the way they have all these different flags of separation Yes. Going along instead of one flag that we all live under, which is the American flag. We are all Americans. And we had a power flicker. This is John Arthur signing off for everyone. Just want to thank you for your listenership. Uh, unfortunately, today, I didn't get a chance to get the opinions from the political and economic chair. Uh, they had some great thoughts. But uh, this is me in the future recording just the tail end of this to wrap it up for the day. Just remember, CRT cannot take precedence over the Bible. There is no uh, respecter of persons with God, neither should there be with us. We should be judging people based on the content of their character and with the idea in mind that they are indeed image bearers of our God and Creator. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like this comment, share subscribe all that good stuff if you didn't like this smash the dislike button twice we love you so much have a blessed week bye bye